everybody, this is Ann Price. Welcome back to Community Possibilities. On today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Marissa Rinkus. She is an Associate Director of the Toolbox Dialogue Initiative Center at Michigan State University. Her work involves designing and facilitating Toolbox Dialogue Initiative workshops and studying the impact of structured dialogue on cross-disciplinary communication and collaboration. Now, Melissa and I have never met in person before. I saw the Toolbox Dialogue Initiative post on LinkedIn, and I was just so curious about the work they do. If they can help researchers better communicate and collaborate, I thought maybe she had something uh, that she could teach the rest of us who live in the community coalition nonprofit foundation world. So I hope you enjoy this conversation and I'll see you on the other side. All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Community Possibilities. I am joined today uh, by Dr. Marissa Rinkus, and uh, Marissa is an Associate Director of the Toolbox Dialogue Initiative Center at Michigan State University. We were just having a conversation about how she just got four inches of snow, and it's getting colder here in Georgia, but unlike you, Marissa, this should be it for us, and I should be able to plant my garden after this weekend. Fingers crossed. I'm, I'm just I'm just shocked. There's no garden planting in Michigan for a while. You have to start your stuff inside until uh, probably May. <laughs> well, I am um, Southern born and bred. If you can count Florida as Southern, which I guess you can. Uh, so God love you for living in Michigan. Although Michigan State is a great university. I mean, it's a great place to live. It's beautiful year round. You have to get in, you know, you have to get into winter sports to, to get outside. Getting outside in the winter is what helps me survive. Uh, well, I hate to say this, but we had a month of cold weather and I don't think I went outside but twice. <laughs> well, that's the, I think it's the Swedes that say there's no bad weather, just bad clothing. And I think that there's something to that. You know, you do. I, I wear a lot of layers. I'm cold all the time. So I even have a little foot heating pad at my desk and I've got blankets and all those other things. But if I dress properly and I keep moving outside, then I'm, I'm good. Okay. Well, well, I'll try that. Well, people probably want to hear more about the, the work that you do than us jibber jabbering. So you and I have actually never met. We just met virtually a few weeks ago to talk about you coming on the podcast And the reason why we connected is I saw a post that you all had done on LinkedIn, and I was just so curious. Um, So you were gracious enough to take time out of your busy schedule to talk to us. So let's just start by just having you introduce um, yourself to the audience. And, And I always like to tell people, you know, tell us who you really are. You have a very interesting background, like, oh, I, I, I don't have your bio pulled up, so I'll totally butcher your PhD. I just know it was like human something and fisheries and wildlife PhD and masters. And so I don't know, we don't have to start there, but I'm very curious about that. I'm all for fisheries and wildlife. So maybe just I'll hush now and you just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thank you. You know, I really love that question, sort of how you, you know, posed it to me before. Is it how did you come 
to be who you are. And I think that is one of the most fascinating things to learn about people. You learn so much more than my bio can tell you, but how did I come, you know, to, to this point and where I am now is kind of interesting. I, you know, I had, I had an interesting love for um, animals and the wildlife and out of doors. I did not grow up in the country. I grew up in the suburbs. I do not have a family that spends a lot of time outdoors per se. And just something I was really interested in though. And that's how I ended up majoring in wildlife biology and, you know, taking all of the ologies as I call them, right. <laughs> everything. Outdoors. Yes, that's right. Biology, dendrology, ornithology, mammalogy, all of those and had a really interesting time and really enjoyed that work, but also was kind of wondering, you know, what, as most college students do, right? Like what's next, where do I go? And I had heard about the Peace Corps from a friend of mine back when I was in high school, a friend I'd met at summer camp or something. And it stuck in my brain, it just stuck there. And I kept thinking about it and I looked into it when I was in college and I thought, um, I wanna do this. Um, It's the closest thing to a calling that I have ever experienced. And I applied to to join the Peace Corps for after graduation, and they accepted me, which was great. Um, And I ended up serving in uh, Guatemala and Central America for two and a half years. And that's really, I think, the sort of the the turning point for me and kind of finding my direction. Um, I worked with uh, local communities on environmental education, um, some ecotourism and solid waste management, but really getting that experience, working with communities, trying to understand what they need and what they want, and trying to see how I could help, and and getting in that role as a connector, as a facilitator, as a resource, and that was really fulfilling to me, and I really enjoyed it. And so when I was getting ready to leave Peace Corps and thinking about what I wanted to do. I wasn't, I wasn't really sure, but I I came back. I I've done all kinds of interesting things. I substitute English as a second language in the Detroit public school system. Um, I worked um, at a, at a nature center as a naturalist, a nature interpreter, which I'd done before, uh, which, you know, got me, you know, my, my human connection in there, getting to know people. And then when I was thinking about um, going back to school, you know, I, I wasn't I still wasn't sure. I luckily got a job with the National Wildlife Federation and did a lot of outreach and engagement and helping people to learn how to be advocates for the environment and how to contact your senators and representatives and how to, to work on policy issues. And so when I wanted to go back to school, I thought, what do I do? Do I do I stay in you know the environment realm or do I check out some other discipline? Um, and there happens to be a subdiscipline of fisheries and wildlife called human dimensions of fisheries and wildlife. And that's really looking at um, people's attitudes towards wildlife, their perceptions, their willingness to participate, um, the economic aspects, the policy aspects, et cetera. And so that's where I started. And that got me back into working with communities. You know, what do communities need and want? How do they perceive the environment around them? How do they perceive environmental problems and the solutions that, you know, we come up to the, you know, come up with for those problems. And so that started on my master's and um, I got convinced to stay on for a PhD was not, which was not something I'd ever imagined myself doing or had really thought about. Um, But that allowed me to, 
learn Portuguese and travel to Brazil and work with um, small fishing communities uh, in understanding better their engagement in sea turtle conservation in particular. And, you know, that really that experience um, and, and my and my master's experience, too, which is looking at stormwater management is kind of what got me really interested in the toolbox dialogue initiative when I saw that opportunity um, come up because both of those experiences um, gave me the opportunity to, to see how there's this disconnect between communities and resource managers or policymakers and really this lack of communication between these two, this idea of um, well, they don't understand X or they want us to do this because, you know, of this, right? Where there's all these assumptions about what other, what the other, the other side, quote unquote, other side mm. um, is thinking or what their agenda is um, or the, how, the, maybe some discrimination of a community or perceived discrimination, these types of things. And so when I learned about the Toolbox Dialogue Initiative, I just thought, wow, this would be a really interesting method to bring to the groups that I've worked with, right? Because I often saw myself as the communicator in between, you know, the communities I worked with in Brazil, you know, I was, I was the person that was kind of had a foot in both spaces. And so I was kind of relaying these messages back and forth and, and trying to help them understand each other mm -hmm. and where they do have, you know, where the similarities and differences lie. Um, and so I saw the toolbox dialogue is this interesting piece for that and, um, you know, applied for that position and they thought, Hey, yeah, you have some great skills that we could use here and, and you understand what we're trying to do. And now what, five, six years later, I'm still here doing, doing this work. Right. You know, as you were talking, I had a, an image of a bridge when you were kind of describing yourself as, you know, kind of having a foot in the community and a foot kind of in the other the world that I don't know if that's the the image that that you kind of think of but that kind of came to my mind and that's so you know important because you're right communities often feel misunderstood or not cared about or exploited or and or all of the above and then I was thinking about um a really tough conversation I had really, uh, recently with a, uh, a community coalition leader who's really having a tough time getting her 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 coalition kind of uh, moving in the direction of what would community change really look like. And as you were talking, I'm like, hmm, I might probably could use some lessons in that toolbox dialogue. Like, how could I have better communicated? with her? How could we have better communicated with each other? Hopefully that's what we're going to learn today. So what is the Toolbox Dialogue Initiative? Do you call it TDI for short or do we refer to it as the Toolbox Dialogue Initiative? We do call it TDI for short. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So TDI is an outreach and research project that's based at MSU, Michigan State University. And, you know, really what that means is that we we, our outreach is conducting these capacity building workshops for um, really any group, but we primarily work with research teams, but any group that is trying to, to work towards uh, a, a common goal collaboratively, right? They're working uh, towards it together. Um, and 
So we, we conduct these workshops with the groups. Um, and then also we collect data for research and that data is really one to help us understand better how our method is, is helping them in different areas. Um, but also to understand, you know, how people communicate with each other, where, where, um, you know, where we can improve on what we do, how we can, how we can relate that to the academic literature that's out there, whether that be the literature on teamwork, um, the literature on leadership or psychological safety, you know, we're in a space that's called like the science of team science. So that is a really interdisciplinary type group that pulls from organizational management or industrial psychology, um, as well as the humanities. Our, our project is actually based in philosophy. It has a philosophical uh, underpinning. So I work with a few philosophers, but our group is also represents different disciplines. So we all bring a little bit different perspective to how we approach this, which I think is really valuable. And obviously it's a, it's a core value we have, right? Where we value different perspectives. We think that's important to, to better understanding. So, yeah, I mean, we're focused on really looking, these workshops are focused on enhancing communication and collaboration for, for cross-disciplinary or cross-professional groups. And the, the aim is really to lead towards increased mutual understanding, you know, and so in, in by enhancing our ability to communicate in dialogue, right, a more two-way communication, a communication that involves more listening, um, more talking to each other, right? Not at each other, as we've talked about. Mm -hmm. And um, also really getting down to more the the, the root of some of these problems. Um, because what's often, what we often find is um, that there are, we assume that we're, we're more alike than we are, right? That's, that's one thing is that groups come together around an issue and they assume that they're more like than we are. That's one thing. And then also there are these assumptions about what other groups think about us. And maybe there's a couple layers that have to be peeled back to where that came from to really understand what's at the bottom of that. And so that's part of what we try to get at in our, in our process. And, you know, we, we say that we like to, um, we like to get at the unacknowledged differences, the things that we don't talk about as much, because there's lots of surface differences in groups that we can talk about um, that we know there's people already know there's some outward disagreement. But sometimes there are other aspects that aren't talked about as much, but those might actually be the root of the problem. It's just easier to it's it's easier to to just take at these surface ones. Right. It's easier for us to do that than to dig a little bit deeper. Right. It's easier to assume our assumptions are correct <laughs> rather than get at the what are, what's getting in the way. I want to go back to the capacity building aspect before we dig into the communication piece. When I think of capacity, I think evaluation capacity, I think organizational capacity, leadership capacity, management capacity. When you're talking about building uh, these interdisciplinary teams capacity, what does that mean in your space, in your world? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think a lot of people have a very specific idea about what a workshop is. You know, we, we work with groups and they think, oh, I'm coming to this workshop and you're going to tell me what to do. You're going to show me a presentation and you're going to give me a recipe for what I need to do. And 
Um, I'm going to therefore then learn how to do it and I will walk away knowing how to do it. And so it is a little misleading to say that we run workshops and even capacity building workshops because it's a little different than what people are used to. Uh, and maybe in a lot of times what people are comfortable with, because really what we're doing is we are offering, we are providing the space and time for people to practice a different way of communicating. And we're not telling them how to communicate, but we are structuring the dialogue through what we call our toolbox instrument. And that's a survey-like instrument that's designed specifically to promote this discussion. And so what capacity-wise, what we're what we're hoping that everyone gets out of it is that they learn to be more reflexive. So they learn to have better self-awareness of their own perspectives, that they have a better um, team awareness or the people that they're working with. So they have a better idea of the perspectives of each of those member teams and how that relates to their own perspective. So what we call and what's referred to this idea of reflexivity and that the, and part of that is really investing this cognitive energy, right. In trying to understand where, what other people's perspectives are and where your perspective come from. Why, you know, where did it, why are why do you feel that way? Where did it, how did you get to that point? And we know a lot of that is, it can be your professional training, but it can also be your background and your upbringing, right? Of how you have a reaction to something. And so the instrument is designed to really get people to react to a set of statements about the issues that the, the group might be grappling with. And the other part of that reflexivity is the perspective taking part. So getting people to really explicitly ask others, right? why they think that way why you know you ex you have to explicitly explain why you reacted to a particular statement or a particular language or word right there's lots of buzzwords out there and so people have particular reactions to those so explain where your thinking comes from and then also be really engaged in trying to understand where the perspectives of others also come from and asking them to explain that more not assuming you know, we've all been in that meeting where someone explains something and someone says, does everyone understand? And a bunch of people nod, we nod our heads. I'm nodding uh -huh. my head now. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we nod our heads and we go upon our, we go on our way, but we don't really know if everyone understood one, what does it mean to understand? Right. Like what, at what level do, do you, when you ask people, do you understand at what level do you expect them to understand that? And, and if you under, if you're saying that you understand, are you saying, oh, I understand at the surface level, like I'm taking, I'm taking it for what it is, what you're telling me, got it. I understand that. But there might be a deeper level of understanding that is important as you, as you move on. Right. So there's this part of perspective taking, which in, in teamwork is, you know, in, in, in office settings or in office workplace settings, they would actually have like a manager walk through the role of someone else and someone who's a, a not a manager walk through the role of the managers. And what we're trying to do in our setting is to set people up for a discussion that allows them to be asking these questions and really trying to internalize that perspective and in, in their dialogue and, and, you know, to, to be very curious about that and not assume that you really understand what someone's saying or, or why they're saying it that way. Right. Or uh, catch yourself saying, yes, you're nodding. Yes. And internally you're saying, 
Hell no. Right. <laughs> I mean, I see that. I mean, I think that happened in a meeting. I was in there yes, uh, yesterday, actually, where uh, someone was saying, yes, they were acquiescing, but they were really not happy about it. Right. Indeed. Indeed. And I think, you know, getting back to that capacity thing is it's, it's our building our capacity to as, as individuals and as a group to increase your ability to have to have an open culture, open culture of communication and dialogue with the people that you're working with versus, you know, kind of you know, a lot of times when we work with teams, a lot of their meetings are reporting out, right, that it's a it's a basic information exchange but it doesn't go beyond that. But that only gets you so far to getting your tasks done, right? Like that's great for getting task work done, but that's not great for creating a collective identity, for having a cohesion among your group and you know, doing hard work, right? Like if you're doing the hard work of trying to reimagine a problem or solve something a different way or really troubleshoot or, you know, like in, in the work that a lot of the communities I'm sure you're working with, like social change, it's the task work isn't, isn't necessarily going to get you there because that doesn't really help change the mindset of people. It doesn't create a new culture that then allows some of these assumptions to be verbalized more and people understand. So we're really trying to build that capacity for folks to understand a different way of communicating. And the, you know, initially the workshop is like a jump start. It's like we, we've worked with groups who they've said, well, we've been meeting um, every two months. We meet for four hours and we have these sessions and we work through things. And those are great. And they like they've been great and they're really helpful to us. But after having this session with you, we have just been able to jump forward like three months um, because we we make sure that we design the workshop and write these prompts that it get pinpoints more it directs more the conversation to getting down into some of these deeper, more fundamental aspects. And then, you know, we want people to make sure that we, you know, in the group, we want to make sure everyone's having a chance to contribute. We want to make sure that, you know, if there are areas where people are unsure about that, right, that we're and on our side in a facilitation manner that we're helping them um, to make sure they can bring their thoughts forward. The nice thing about the instrument is that it provides um, it provides an object that people can talk about and around, and they don't necessarily have to talk about a person or you know direct their comments towards a person. Mm -hmm. So sometimes people can. You can like buzzwords. There's so many buzzwords, right? Sustainability is a buzzword. Right. So, so people can talk about the problem they have with sustainability as a buzzword and, and what they're trying to do in the community without saying, you don't understand how, <laughs> what sustainability is, right? That it's not about you as an individual. It's about this collective problem we have with this situation or these buzzwords or this, this problem that we have. Right. Yeah. Now I can fill in those so many buzzwords, right? You know, equity, social determinants of health, uh, systems change, systemic racism, right? Whatever the fill in the buzzword, right? So can you help us get, um, I get the survey and it helps you have a conversation uh, in my little, uh, you know, naive brain, like these interdisciplinary teams, that sounds awesome. Why don't they get along and why aren't they 
uh, on the same page. So maybe if you could um, pick an example to kind of walk us through without, you know, um, you know, sharing anything that, you know, you should not share, but just like an example of a team that is working on a problem and maybe some of the issues and how this approach really uh, helped them to propel forward and to work uh, more collaboratively together. And may I just say, totally get the idea that people come in expecting a template or a process that they can, you know, <laughs> you know, just plug and play. I can imagine there might be some resistance a little bit, even if they think they know what they're getting into. But anyway, I digress. And it may be an example. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, one, one, just on that last point is that what we're trying to do is really practice in the context of their work. So we all know everyone is time crunched and it's like, I can't possibly take two hours or three hours or four hours or whatever for a workshop or a retreat or plan strategic planning session or these types of things. But what, what we're trying to do is, is they're practicing what they're, what we're trying to do without even really knowing necessarily that they're doing it while while they're getting the work done right while it's forwarding the work so it, it's trying to do that practice in the context of work aspect but for um you know it's not you you talked about teams not getting along there are definitely teams that don't get along and that's you know some teams that um we work with say well we don't really need this because we get along mm-hmm well, it's not just for people who don't get along per se. Um, you know, it's for it's for any group that really wants to improve, right? They they want okay, to hear you. They want to have a better cohesion. They want to um, you know have a process for moving things forward. They you know they want to set themselves up for success, right? They want to kind of uh, you know empty the closet, the skeletons out of the closet early on, so that they don't have a hiccup down the road. And that's a big thing for a lot of these teams. I mean, we see, um, you know, I'm trying to think of a very specific example. Most of the time we work with teams um, maybe once or twice. Sometimes we work with teams longer over time, but a lot of teams we do just work with them once. So we sort of hear stories of, of them when they come back. But what is most important for these teams is that you say you have a group of individuals um, that come together and they're, this is very common for us. We have a group that are, um, you know, computer modelers, um, probably some physicists, some, uh, engineers, and maybe someone from a medical profession with people that are putting together medical devices. And you'd have no idea how many different <laughs> disciplines are involved in that. It's really quite interesting. And, you know, they come together and they all are experts in their own area. They know their own area very well. And they know because of their expertise, they know that they need other people to help, you know, bring a product into market or to do some pilot study to help them forward, you know, what they're trying to do, um, and they, but they don't know exactly how all those pieces fit together yet. And they don't exactly know how they're going to do that. And so the workshop in that sense can help them dig down a little bit deeper. One, into help, helping them understand how everyone understands the project, 
right? Because that can be a little different <laughs> because everyone's understanding it from their expertise and sort of how they see that, that problem being solved. So under, is that, is that like the metaphor of the elephant and the blind men, <laughs> right? <laughs> but he's touching a different part of the elephant. That's. Yeah, that's definitely. exactly. So that can be a big part of it. Um, and, you know, understanding how each of them sees their role in the project because sometimes people put together a team of people or, you know, sometimes just a, a group of people come together and they say, well, it would be really great to work on X, right? It'd be really great to work on, um, I'll just use sustainability, you know, sustainability uh, in our community. But they came to it with different ideas, not just about what sustainability means, but how they want to get there. And so having that conversation early on explicitly into each individual, right? Stating their, where they stand can help shape how a team moves forward. Because sometimes when we, we assume people think, well, we'll figure that, we'll figure those details out later. And then you get eventually, right? You, you have to get going and right for, for research teams, some, a recent one that we worked with there, they have a seed grant. So they have seed grant money and then they need to the idea is they need to come up with a proof of concept and write a larger grant. So this stage is extremely important for them. One in solidifying what they're trying to do and the importance of it so that they can convince a funder that they want to get this grant money. The other thing is, is they need to come together as a team. So they also need to have discussions about their motivations for being part of the team, what they need to get out of it and how. Um, they're going to go about doing that because we all know that everyone's super busy and nobody has time to just do volunteer work all the time, right? Everything they do can't be just a volunteer contribution. So they have to get something out of it. And a lot of times our, our, our engagement in projects, the level of engagement we have is dependent on how much we're going to get out of it, right? I'm going to put more time in because I'm getting more out of it. So establishing that in the beginning can really help because I'm sure um, you've experienced this and listeners have too, that over time you can have people drop off of groups. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. When they don't, when that, to your point, when they don't feel engaged or when they're engaged, but they don't feel like they're getting out anything out of it. Absolutely. Yeah. So having that, you know, one of the things that the dialogue can do is have a discussion early on. So we worked with a number of groups that were getting seed funding and having that discussion about this is a, this is a two year process, but they, after a year, they're going to have to start writing a grant to get further funding. So what do they need? What does everyone need to get out of it in the two years? And what do they hope to accomplish in this first year? Um, and, you know, how are they going to, how are they going to go on? How are they going to go about doing that? Do they have all the expertise that's there, et cetera? And for the interdisciplinary component, right? Like I mentioned, if we have engineers and physicists and um, computer scientists, et cetera, sometimes, you know, all of those individuals can be focused on their very particular piece, right? Computer modelers are very focused on what data they need to get in the model, and the importance of right that the quality of that data, et cetera. The engineers are, are focused on how 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 the product might work and the design, and 
you know, how that might, that might finish. We, you know, the physicists or, um, you know, other physical science folks, some of them are really focused on the, the science question, right? The science question that we're trying to answer. And so what the juggle becomes is we no, no one in the team can't focus only on one area, because if you focus only on each individual area, you don't advance together. And that could cause problems as you go on. But it's really hard for them to understand how they focus on all parts at the same time, because all of them primarily have been you know, working in their own particular area. And so they haven't had to do that. So having a, having a discussion, you know, we have these, we encourage groups that we work with to have these discussions early on. So having a dialogue early on and sort of pinpointing where they think the challenges will be, right. Speculating a little where they think the challenges will be and the concerns that they may have and trying to troubleshoot those now. Right. And as well as thinking about where the individual contributions are in understanding where everyone sees their contribution. So it's kind of, it's a balance between, um, between those different parts. Right. Yeah. And as you're talking, I'm thinking about community coalitions that I work with where you have so many community sectors, you've got nonprofits, you've got healthcare, you've got law enforcement, you've got uh, this nonprofit, you've got you know, uh, oh my gosh, so many different kinds of perspectives. And that's so true. It happens all the time, right? People can't, they can only see the lane, the chair they're sitting in. They cannot take the perspective of anybody else or the community as a whole. So how do you move these teams past my individual perspective? Like everybody shares, right? We've got the survey documentation where we're kind of, uh, you know, peeling back the onion. Everybody's got their perspective. How do you move them past that? to this shared understanding or uh, there are like, I, I imagine that's on the tool, right? That's part of the toolbox, I'm guessing. Yeah, I, exactly. It's, it's kind of interesting, you know, that you, you asked this question this way, because I just had a conversation with someone who had us work with a, their group in December and um, was introduced, they were connecting us to another, another group. And they asked us to explain everything that we did. And they said, well, I just want to add that also it's magical. They're like, ah! magic. it's the magic that happens. So when you were explaining it, I was, it's, you know, it's kind of like, okay, we, uh, we have a little introduction. We have, you fill out the toolbox instrument. We have the dialogue some magic happens and then you, you, we do a post instrument so we can see if there's a change, right? There's a change mm -hmm. from people's thinking pre to post with the dialogue in the middle mm -hmm. and then um, have a, a co-creation activity that then helps to, you know, put some things mm -hmm. down on paper. But, you know, I, I don't, it's not that it is um, mysterious or that <clears throat> it's unexplainable. But the thing is, is that we, I think what we offer people is an opportunity to talk in a way that they have not talked to each other previously. It's, it's a different level of communication that they have not engaged likely with their group. And we it, it's sometimes I like to say it's a little bit of a low stakes dialogue. I mean, it can be, can be high stakes 
depending on the topic for people and and their emotional involvement and, and things like that. But it's low stakes in the sense that we're not trying to make a decision in that dialogue time. We're not trying to get everyone to agree, which I think is really stressful for groups, mm-hmm. right? Is ha- consensus is really stressful, but that's the only, that's usually what people say. You know, if you ask people, how are you going to make decisions? They say consensus, but consensus can be really hard and it's really stressful. Um, but we're not really trying to force people to do that in that dialogue. We're giving them a structure. They don't have to come up with, with what to talk about. They don't have to um, make a decision. They just have to reflect and discuss with their colleagues at a, you know, at a really, at a deeper level than they're probably used to. So I think that's really valuable, especially in the last two years being on Zoom and not having the casual conversation and not having longer periods of time together. You know, we've kind of compressed things um, to be in virtual and everyone's busy is we're, we're making this space and time for you to have an in-depth conversation, to be wholly present in just learning about your colleagues and yourself and the project that you're trying to do together. And I think it's a little freeing for people in some way, because especially for the research teams that we work on, I mean, every meeting they have is task, 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 and then they hurried to get this grant. Now they have it. Now they have to hurry to get the work done so they can report on it. You know, we all run around um, doing that. And so I think that gives them, um, it, it just lends itself to the opportunity for things to surface that haven't yet, you know, for if, you know, they say, right, like if you, for people who meditate, I don't think it's, our dialogues are not like meditation for sure, but people who meditate say, right, that you relax and you sort of forget about other things, certain new ideas can come to mind. So that's what happens a lot for these groups. So that's the, that's the, and then the miracle happens. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know about miracle and, but. (laughs) Or the magic. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think it can be, it, it, it can, it can be really magical for some groups because they may have had similar conversations or tried to have conversations that got at some of these in the past and were unsuccessful, mm-hmm. or it just, you know, it can surface a lot of new ideas for people mm-hmm. um, or for the group and just increase their level of un- understanding of each other um, that helps build towards that common ground. Can you give us an example of maybe a few questions that a group might have to answer that helps kind of elicit this understand the shared understanding? Sure. Um, so an item that is we use frequently, especially with our interdisciplinary research team, is um, an interdisciplinary project can be successful even if no member understands all of its parts. So this is one we just have been using frequently with a number of groups. And this idea of of who needs to know what and what does understand mean and how does everyone understanding lead to our success? You know, so the the way the prompts are structured is that there can be, there's, there's different ways that it can be interpreted and that's on purpose so that we can understand 
when people in your group read success, this is what they think. When they read understand, this is what they think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so groups will talk about, uh, they will talk about that. They'll talk about well, somebody has to know everything. Somebody has to know right. what's going on, right? Somebody has to know the big, per- the big picture. And people will say, well, some, you know, I think, you know, nobody can know everything because that's not possible. And someone's like, well, everyone, someone should know at least all the moving parts and how they fit together. Mm-hmm. And everyone should be able to conceptually explain what our project is. But I don't expect to be able to understand the algorithm that this modeler uses. And I don't expect to understand the, uh, mathematical equations that the physicist is using for X, Y, and Z, but I need to understand how those parts relate to my part mm-hmm. and how together they'll, you know, come to the conclusion of our, you know, our problem or help solve our problem. Gotcha. And so, you know, kind of like digging down into that. So then, so this prompt question, I I can just imagine the reaction in the, in the, when they see that particular question and then everybody takes turns kind of answering that question, or is it kind of a free for all? Right. And again, yes. I'm thinking in my head, how a similar question might work in a community, maybe who's dealing with um, say poverty, right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's impossible for us to move the needle on poverty, or it's impossible for us to understand all of the things related to that or something like that. And anyway, I'm trying to get to the nitty gritty. So you have this prompt. And then, again, do people take turns? How does that work? So generally, it, I will say it somewhat depends on the group, but our general approach is that it is open. So so there's usually an instrument that might have what we call modules, two or three modules, like different sections that are their thematic, right? A thematic module. And then it'll have a set of probably five to eight statements for each section. And we allow the participants to start wherever they want. If we did our job right, we have come up with enough items in there to cover most of what is important to this group. Now, usually the dialogues are between 60 and 90 minutes. And depending on the size of the group, it's most groups don't get through all of those, right? Because we don't want to just go, well, let's read one. And what did people think? Okay, check, we did it and we move on, right? right. We want people to kind of dig down in there and there's overlap between those items. So they often connect to each other. You know, we'll have, we could have a whole module that's just on success metrics, for instance, mm-hmm. or we could have a whole module that's on the conceptual aspects of their project. And so one of the things that we do is we allow them to decide where they want to start. They don't have to decide as a group, just anybody, someone just say, oh, well, you know what, this this one really struck a chord with me, right? Maybe there's one about poverty that says, I understand the barriers to eliminating poverty for people in my community. And someone could say, well, this one really struck a chord for me because I thought, I think I do, but I probably don't understand all of the barriers. And I'm curious if what other people think, do you, you know, do you think that you understand all the barriers that exist for alleviating poverty for people in our community? And what, you know, what do you think those are? And then people, you know, we try to leave it a little loose where people can, 
um, share if they want to, um, you know, with we're in Zoom now. So if people want to comment in the chat to us, maybe they don't feel comfortable bringing forward what they want to say. Um, we can do that for them. You know, it, it offers an opportunity because people are responding to the items. If people are a little more reserved and don't want to talk, their their information is still captured and they're still listening. But we do encourage everyone to speak, but we don't necessarily go around and have each person talk. We'll usually, it, you know, a couple people might make a comment on an item and then we would say, does anyone else have anything, a different perspective? Did anyone else, you know, interpret that differently or have something to, you know, to contribute? And sometimes people will say, no, I agree with everything that everyone said. And someone else might say, well, actually, I thought of it a little differently and this is how. And so we'll do that for a little bit. And usually kind of the conversation comes to a little natural pause. And then we would open it up for another item to be discussed. Um and then we go until till our time is done. So we take a little bit more relaxed role to facilitation, but that also really depends on what the group wants to get out of their time with us. Um, if we we have before, you know, done something a little more structured where the, you know, we work with the leaders of the group or leaders and the participants as well to collect some information ahead of time. And so sometimes people want, you know, they really want to make sure they get through all of the modules, at least if it's not necessarily all the prompts. So then we can time things a little more and push people through that a little bit more. Mm -hmm. We also have groups that just naturally have a structure or they've set up a structure during this, particularly, um, particularly on in zoom, right. Where they raise hands and everyone takes a turn. And so we don't want to like, we don't want to impose our structure over that if that's something that works for them and it's comfortable because we know turn-taking is really important for mm -hmm. uh, teamwork and things like that. And, and, you know, the scientific literature tells us that's a very important thing. So we will go along with that necessarily, but usually we, ideally we want the dialogue to start to flow or more organically. And we want the participants speaking to each other, not to us, I mean, it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me how you, how you responded to a particular prompt or, you know, the, it's not right or wrong with us. It's, mm -hmm. it's the group coming to that understanding. Yeah. And one of the reasons why, and I said this early in the beginning, uh, beginning when I um, saw the article that you all had posted on LinkedIn, um, it just made me think about just the world we live in. It's kind of like what we were saying earlier about, you know, we just talk past each other. It's like, I'm going to tell you how I think and you're going to tell me how you think, but there's never that there, what there is rarely that magic that we can't, we came to a new understanding as a result of our conversations. And that's what I wanted to really ask you is what can we learn from this approach? We, the collective we, we in this country, what can we learn? What can community groups learn about this approach and take away from the, the one or two nuggets that they could put into practice in the work that they do? Yeah, I think, you know, the one thing that's really big for me that that any group can take away is that we need to make time to have dialogue, to engage in deep listening and deep integration of ideas. We need to take time to ask more questions. Mm 
that, you know, we, we don't often make that time for you. Know, okay. You, yes. You put five minutes for on your agenda for, mm-hmm. for question and answer something like that, mm-hmm. but really having, um, you know, that open dialogue and that time that's dedicated. That's like, this is, this is what we're going to do. We're really going to reflect on our individual roles and responsibilities. We're going to reflect on how our project is going. We're going to reflect on how we can improve and not, and in a collective way, right. Not in a one person's reporting and other people are commenting back on it, Right. but, but more in that, that collective, I think that's really important. I mean, Reflection has been um, periodic reflection and increasing your own, you know, individual, your self-awareness or reflexivity is really important. It's been written about quite a bit in teamwork literature. And we also, you know, there's a, there's a lot more being talked about, about psychological safety lately. And and we talk about it a little bit too. And so creating an, an open culture of communication and collaboration that really prioritizes and values outwardly right values understanding individuals perspectives and they're making it easy and accessible for them to express those views and for to, to have that keeping that dialogue open is really important i mean it keeps people engaged i think that i know my work with community groups in the past that's huge right keeping people engaged over the long term is difficult because we all have lives we all have many things that we do you know, so I think the dialogue is important. It, it recognizes that relationships are dynamic and they change over time. It recognizes that the project you're working on is dynamic and that it changes in time and that we need to take we need to take time to have more of that dialogue. And it is also something people will say, well, it sounds like you're talking about a retreat. OK, <laughs> yes, w- retreats have their role, but you don't have to take a retreat to do this. You know, we've had some teams that we worked with in the past that the instrument that we created for them, they said, oh, well, we took that. And what we did is we would just take one of those statements to open a meeting. And we would just reserve the first 10 or 15 minutes of every meeting to for people to respond, reflect, and just have a brief dialogue on it. And that kind of set the stage for the rest of our meeting, right? So they kind of curated them based on what they wanted to accomplish in that meeting. And so just I think that's really important. Uh, and that's something that any group can do communities, community groups, research teams, really any group of people that are working together. I mean, we try to do it in our own team, try to practice what we preach. <laughs> yeah. Or, or in a family or, or, or in a partnership or a marriage, I can see that being really valuable. And what came to my mind as I sit, sat in so many coalitions, right. Community groups where it's like a report out of, you know, this organization is doing this, this organization is doing that kind of like your, your engineers and your, your software folks and the physicists that you were talking about earlier, right? Everybody does a report out, but nobody does that visioning. So I love the idea of starting that meeting with a, Hey, let's just take a few minutes and um, just, you know, have this conversation about what we're trying to accomplish or some piece of that. I love that. So I don't know, is there anything else you want to chat about today? I know you've got another meeting, you said, and I want to be respectful of your time. You're, you said you're super busy. Everybody's trying to get on everybody's calendar. I know. It's terrible. I really hate it when people say, how are you? And I say I'm busy. I, I just cringe when I say that, too. Me it just too. 
it's kind of the norm and I'm trying to just right accept that but doing something like this with you is so much uh more fulfilling and interesting than writing a bunch of emails that I need to <laughs> that I need to need to send out or, or reporting on things. I mean, those are right; those are things that have to be done, and we have to do them, and that's fine. Um, but it's also good to take time to speak to someone like you and learn about the things that you're doing and all of your experience with coalitions. And yeah, I mean, I think there is, you know, a lot that we could we could talk on and on about. But you know, I would just encourage anyone who's interested in dialogue or what we do to to check us out or contact us i mean we're always looking for new challenges and new ways to innovate on what we do we have worked with some mm -hmm. community groups and we worked with different spaces we worked with a, a food council group we've worked on visioning and strategic planning but we've also just worked on you know helping with with cohesion with groups or you know, there's lots of different, different things that we do. Yeah. I can even see, um, you know, foundations really benefiting from this conversation to really think about how uh, they could be more effective or the kinds of things that uh, might be effective in communities. So I, I really, I really love that. And I've really enjoyed getting to know you and I hope we stay in touch. I have everybody uh, checks out um, TDI. I'll put links um, to the center you know, in our show notes for sure. But I have to ask you the question. I ask everybody that that question, when you look to the future, what community possibilities do you see? I see a lot of possibilities, um, you know, for, I see a lot of possibilities for dialogue for communities. I think it's just really needed right now. Um, I think that there are a lot of people out there doing really, really great work. Um, and, you know, for, for me, I'm always looking for how I can contribute to that work, how I, how I can help people do what they do better. That's, I think that's the space that I like to occupy. It's, you know, maybe that is my calling is, you know, uh, trying to, trying to do, do that piece, right? How can I help others do what they do better? Because there's so many people out there doing wonderful things. And I think that communities are strong and they have so much more power than they realize. Um, even, even with all the barriers that, that and challenges that they face. So that's, you know, my hope is how can we, how can we, how can dialogue help in the long term for that, right? How can it help sustain that over time um, and, and really help communities, not just build for the next, you know, five to 10 years or whatever, but build a foundation that is going to help carry them forward into the future. Right. Yeah. There's that sustainability again. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sustainability. <laughs> right. Right. I love it. I love it. So Marissa, how can folks get in touch with you? Yeah. I mean, people can email me directly. They can email uh, the Toolbox Dialogue Initiative at toolbox at msu.edu. We do have a Twitter at MSU Toolbox. Of course, you can find me on LinkedIn and I'm, I am always happy to chat with people. That's how Anne and I met, which is great. And um, check out our website for information. We, we will be updating more and more. A lot of the information on there, of course, it will be focused a little bit more towards research teams, but we are doing more work with community groups and very interested in that 
in that opportunity, if people were wanted to collaborate with us, I mean, we're, we're committed to, um, we're committed to really, you know, the, the core values of what we do. So really communication and collaboration for, for enhancing mutual understanding for any group that's, that's working towards a common goal. So we would love to hear from you and about the things that you're doing and try to think about how we, how, what we do can help you. Awesome. Well, Marissa, thank you so much for joining me today. This was a great conversation. Thank you for having me. All righty. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining me on today's episode of Community Possibilities. As always, please remember to share this episode with someone who needs to hear it. If you could like and maybe even write a review wherever you listen, that would be super helpful. I also want to invite you to think about whether or not you know for sure whether you're really making a difference in your community. And if you're not, or if you're struggling, I have a free guide that might help you. You can go on over to communityevaluationsolutions.com forward slash free dash guide for your copy of Powerful Evidence, Harnessing Your Results for Social Change. My free guide is going to help you develop a clear path to success, build confidence that you've selected the right strategy, and foster collaboration with your team. This guide is perfect for community coalitions and collaboratives, nonprofits, foundations, and state and federally funded programs, really anyone who's trying to do community change work. So again, go on over to communityevaluationsolutions.com forward slash free dash guide and download my free guide.